The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Our text sets forth that those who were formerly under law have been discharged from the law by the death of Christ. The law of Moses never did apply to us Gentiles nor to our fathers. But in our preaching, it is necessary to talk to some people as though they had been under that law since legalism has been made such a part of modern Christendom. Therefore, we point out that even if you think of yourself as having been under some system of law to God, you have been discharged from that law by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over a half a century ago, the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, then pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, saw the need to spread God's Word beyond the hearing of his local congregation. He started the radio outreach, which has become known as Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. The application of God's Word as taught by Dr. Barnhouse is as relevant today as when he first taught over the radio airwaves decades ago. The message we'll be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled New Life for Service. If you want to be a good tennis player, you must learn to serve well. If you want to develop an effective spiritual life that is well-pleasing to God, you must also learn to serve well. The Lord has saved us in order that we might glorify Him through good works and acts of service. He gives you the power to live a godly life and joyfully serve Jesus Christ as well as other people. Has God given you a new life or committed service to Him? The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, Romans chapter 7 and verse 6. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with a message entitled, New Life for Service. Through the Lord Jesus Christ we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. We thank Thee for Thy grace and faithfulness, and rejoice that Thou, the God of holiness and justice, hast become our God through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless the truth to each listening heart in this hour, and we will give Thee all the praise in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue our studies in the Epistle of Romans and come to the seventh chapter and the sixth verse, which reads, but now we are discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. For Paul, all time was divided into then and now. Then was before Christ died, and now is since Christ died. Time and again this alternation is found in his epistles. Twenty-one times he speaks of the now as opposed to the then. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, we read in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Only because Christ came 
and drove a wedge from eternity straight into time, making it possible for the life of eternity to be lived in time. This is life eternal, and it comes to us through Christ. Now in our text we find one of the fruits of that central work of Christ set forth in clear and definite terms. The man who had been under the law, the child of the first covenant made with Israel, was now discharged from the law. Our authorized version, the King James Version, says that we are now delivered from the law. But the term in the Greek is a legal one. The 19.1 revisers found the proper term, and this has been retained by the RSV. But now we are discharged from the law. Now, when a man is discharged from the law, it is because there has been a judicial process and the man has been cleared so that he can never face trial in the matter again. We saw in our last study that the law, suddenly introduced to one section of the human race, caused a violent reaction. The coming of the law aroused the sinful passions which were latent and dormant in the unsaved man, causing him to bring forth fruit unto death. This process could be described in terms of modern chemistry as the action of a catalyst. A catalyst is something that accelerates the rate of reaction without actually taking part in it. For example, if oxygen and hydrogen in the form of gases are together, they will stand a long time without reaction. But if any form of platinum is introduced at room temperature, they will instantly explode. Or we can give a more common example, one that might take place in your bathroom. You know that if you have a bottle of hydrogen peroxide, and if you leave it on the shelf for a year or two, it will lose its potency, as the oxygen will slowly decompose. But if you take even a fresh bottle of hydrogen peroxide and put a copper penny in it, the effervescence will take place at once as the oxygen fizzes out before your eyes. The process of two years can take place in a few minutes by the introduction of the copper as a catalyst. Now the human heart was in sin, in what might be called slow decomposition. But when the Lord gave the law through Moses, there was an immediate violent reaction, and the rebellion of the people's hearts was manifest in a moment as the sinful passions were aroused by the entrance of the law. The law fell into the human heart like a copper penny and a bottle of hydrogen peroxide, and the law caused the human heart to foam with rage at the holiness of God and all that was demanded of man. But now, praise God for the now, now we are discharged from law and are as dead to it through the death of Christ and our union with him in resurrection life. Thus our life is carried on in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. It's very important that we establish the correct translation here, for there have been those who have attempted to deny the inspiration of the Bible through a misinterpretation and a misapplication of the idea set forth here. Literally, the King James Version is a word-for-word -word translation of the Greek. We now serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. The 1901 version and the Catholic version retained this literal reading. The RSV says, we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the spirit. Weymouth says, 
we render a service which is new and spiritual, not old and ceremonial. Williams awkwardly states, we serve in a new spiritual way and not in the old literalistic way. First of all, we must see that this use of the phrase oldness of the letter does not in any way teach that the Bible is not literally the word of God and to be taken literally wherever God has not introduced the indications which show that there is a parable or a symbol which requires interpretation by reference to some other portion of the word of God. There is a parallel passage in Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, which is often quoted by those who deny the inward reality of the word of God. For we read in second Corinthians three, six, God hath made us effective ministers of the new covenant, not of letter, but of the spirit for the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. Oh, how many times bitter enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ have flung this verse at those who presented the truth. Tell men that there is a literal hell, and they're likely to say, you shouldn't believe the letter of the Bible, for the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. Tell men that character can take them to hell, but not to heaven, and they're likely to say, you shouldn't believe the letter of the Bible, for the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. Now multiply these instances to cover almost any stern truth that is in the divine revelation, and you will meet with the same objection. According to these people who do not wish to take the letter of the Bible, there is no such thing as original sin. There is no such thing as the wrath of God. Acts of sin are considered to be errors of mortal mind, and God is a nice old grandmother who will overlook every offense in his creatures because they are supposed to be his children, even if badly spoiled. There's only one way to answer such objectors. Use the sharp, two-edged sword of the word of God with even more deadly effect. The only thing to do with a man who refuses to accept the Bible is to continue quoting it to him, knowing that it may take effect, and that if it does not, you've put the truth into the record that he will face at the judgment bar of God before he is banished to outer darkness forever. The Bible is to be taken literally unless there are definite signposts in the text which point to a symbolic meaning. Adam and Eve are literal human beings and may not be interpreted in any other way in the light of our Lord's own statement, know ye not that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female. The fall into original sin must be taken as a historical fact as evident a fact as the war in Korea or the hydrogen bomb. The story of the rich man Lazarus must be taken as literal fact because our Lord used definite names for individuals. All of these things are literal, as literal as the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and as literal as his resurrection. Heaven may be looked upon as a literal place in space because the physical body of the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven a body that had eaten broiled fish. If there is any attempt to avoid the plain teaching of the word by a process which some have called spiritualizing these passages, it is a process of death. It was James H. Brooks of St. Louis who said that scripture could not be spiritualized because there were only two spirits, the spirit of Satan and the spirit of God. 
the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, would never treat the divine word in such cavalier fashion. The spirit of the devil would, of course, do all that he could to destroy the divine word, for he is the father of lies and hates the truth with great hatred. Therefore, if there be any attempt to do away with the plain narratives and implications of scripture, the process must never be called spiritualizing, but rather the demonizing of scripture. The Bible has been given to us by God, and it has been given to us in the terms and even in the words which he desired to use in order to communicate his thought to us. The Bible is not a human record of man groping after religious truth, but it is the divine revelation given by God to man in order to make manifest his own being, his sovereign power and grace, and the good pleasure of his own divine purpose. We are told in Peter that the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of old spake as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We are told in the letter to the Corinthians that the truth of God is not to be presented in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but in the words which the Holy Spirit teacheth, as we compare spiritual things with spiritual words. An illustration of the importance of the use of divine words rather than human terms has come to light in recent years in connection with a certain heresy which obtained wide acceptance for a time in social circles in this country and abroad. A group of men began to teach that the important thing was sharing and that men and women should share their experience with one another and that there should be life-changing. Now, that may sound all right to those who do not know the word of God, but a careful examination will show that both ideas are false because the words have been changed. Sharing is a horizontal movement that begins in the depths of an infected Adamic heart and goes to the infected depths of another Adamic heart. Such a thing can bring confusion to a soul, but never blessing. The Christian does not share. He witnesses. Christ said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. Witnessing is a vertical movement that begins on the throne of God in the ascended Lord Jesus Christ and comes down through one believer witnessing to another soul. It is in this way that new life, divine life, is communicated and imparted. And the Christian word is not life-changing, but regeneration. Out in India, I traveled on the great north road that runs up through the Punjab and the United Province. One side of the road was soft earth for the camels and the other was macadam for the motor cars. In the rainy season, the camel path was a miry bog. Now suppose a man was walking to Calcutta on the muddy side of the road. Another might approach him and say that he had an experience to share with him. Walking was easier on the paved side of the road. The man in the mud moves over to the paved road and cries out that his life has been changed. And in a way it has. But I come along with my biblical desire for truth. And I ask two questions. Where were you going when you were walking in the mud? And the answer is Calcutta. And where are you going now that you're on the highway? And the answer is still Calcutta. You do not leave your life changed, but you need it exchanged. You need an absolutely new life, and this comes only from the new birth. 
Then you will find yourself on a new road and in a new direction. Now, having seen that our text does not speak in any wise against the literal interpretation of the inspired word of God, we turn back to see the true meaning of the text. There is no difficulty about the sphere of true service. The phrase, serve in newness of the spirit, has been clarified by all that we have seen. The phrase, the oldness of the letter, requires a little more definition. The Greek word which is translated oldness is used here alone in all the Bible. The word old has several connotations. A man may be old because he has lived over 20 years. A newspaper may be old because another one has come out 24 hours later. A garment may be old because it is worn smooth from use, whether in the intensive wear of a few weeks or by the slow wear of long months. Now the law of God was said by God to be old because he himself replaced it with the new covenant of grace. The Greek word which is translated by our English word letter is indeed the exact equivalent letter, but it is a Paulinism for the law. The translators of the RSV are to be complimented in this instance for having given the true thought of the writer. We serve not the old written code, but in the new life of the spirit. It is unfortunate that they have altered the order of the phrases in the RSV, for the original puts the positive before the negative in this instance. It should be, we are discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive, so that we should serve in the new life of the spirit and not under the old written code. It's interesting to note how the various translators have rendered the form of the verb serve. The familiar King James sets forth the purpose of our discharge from the law, that we should serve. Other translations read that we may serve, that we can serve, or that we are free to serve. But I am sure that both grammatically and theologically, the 1901 revision, followed by Verkeuil, Weymouth, and the revised version, is right when it states categorically that the discharge of the believer from law is in order that we may serve. There are no doubts about it. There are no conditions. It is the statement that the one who is united to Christ does serve. It's like the statement in Galatians, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There is something very humbling about this when we analyze it. Every redeemed child of God is serving. It is, of course, true that at the best, we are unprofitable servants, even as our Lord said. But we are nevertheless serving. How wrong, then, that any Christian should judge another and think that he is not serving because he does not live under the same act or conditions as the critic. A few years ago, I was preaching in a certain city and made a statement that caused a minister to come to me afterwards and take me sharply to task. I had made a statement that affected one of the main doctrines of his denomination. The headquarters of that denomination were in that city, and I asked him if he knew the principal leaders. He did. And to make a long story short, it was arranged that five of them should be my guests at dinner. They were of a denomination which places large emphasis on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and upon the necessity that each individual member 
maintain a very active Christian witness. As we sat down at table, I noted that they were very reserved and seemingly on the defensive. I disarmed them by saying that we should talk of nothing but our points of agreement until the time of the dessert, and that we should order a very good dinner since God had given us richly all things to enjoy. I asked, now are we agreed that Jesus Christ is Lord, the eternal second person of the Godhead? We all did. We went on through the whole mealtime speaking of our points of agreement. We were agreed upon the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We agreed that he had been born without a human father, that he had been crucified for our sins, that he arose in his material body, and that he was now seated at the right hand of God and was coming again. We agreed on the inspiration of the Bible and on many other things. Just about dessert time, when we were quite friendly because of the vast field of agreement that included all the really major doctrines of importance, something was said about the frigidity of a certain denomination. There are churches that are named Church of the Incarnation or Church of the Resurrection. One of my guests suggested that a certain church might well be called the Church of the Refrigeration. At this point, I told them a story. I asked them what they thought of a man who trained as a scholar, went through theological seminary and was ordained, but he seldom preached a sermon. He never went out to a prayer meeting. He stayed away from church for weeks at a time. He went into his library every morning and stayed there throughout the day and frequently far into the night. He had certain personal habits which are thought to be unchristian by others, and he was intemperate in many ways. He continued this life of a recluse for more than 20 years. I asked them what they thought of his Christian life. They were unanimous that they did not think much of it. Then I asked them if in their Bible study they made much use of a concordance. They all did. I named several concordances and asked them which they thought was the best. They all agreed that the exhaustive concordance by Strong, with its Hebrew and Greek lexicons and comparative word lists, was by far the most valuable tool in their library. They all agreed that this one volume saved them hundreds of hours of work. They also agreed that thousands and thousands of ministers and Bible teachers found equal blessing in using Strong's concordance. Then I burst my bombshell. The man whom they had all criticized for remaining in his library for 20 years, living without attending a prayer meeting and without personal testimony, was the man who had produced the concordance which had saved each of them hundreds of hours' labor and which made the word of God so much clearer to multitudes. They were forced to admit that the Lord had different kinds of servants for different kinds of works. Milton said, They also serve who only stand and wait. Now, I'm sure that every member of the body of Christ is in that body for a purpose. The most forlorn Christian, born in the most humble surroundings and living in a penury on the lowest cultural scale, has some real place in the plan of God and is serving a purpose in that divine plan. The latest convert from a savage tribe in Africa the great professor in his study, the flighty young girl who seems so torn in the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. All these and every other category of believer is serving the Lord. We must not be satisfied with the way we are doing what we are doing, but we must be satisfied with the place in life which God has given us. 
The Lord made you to be a man or a woman according to his plan. He decided how tall you should be, the color of your eyes and hair, your skin texture. He numbered the hairs of your head. He gave you your intelligence quotient and your earning capacity. He wants you in exactly the place in which you are today. Even if you're in jail, God has a use for you there, and he has you there for a purpose. You may have some of your condition as a result of his chastening love, but he will deal with you exactly as you are now and bring you in growth on his way. Trust him. He united you to Christ in order that you should serve him in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of any code of law. We look to him in joy because our expectation is from him. And our God and Father, we pray thee to bless the truth to each heart and use it in this hour for thy dear namesake. Amen. God has given us new life through faith in Jesus Christ. We can now joyfully serve him, not in the oldness of the letter of the law, but in the newness of the Holy Spirit. We hope you have benefited from today's message by Dr. Barnhouse entitled, New Life for Service. You can listen to additional Bible teaching by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse via the Internet by visiting the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals website at alliancenet.org. An audio copy of today's teaching is available by calling us toll-free 1-800-488-1888. Today's message again is entitled, New Life for Service, or simply request message number R7-10. We would also like to make available to you a free copy of our booklet entitled, Why and How to Study the Bible. Christians have many excuses for why their Bibles never find their way off the bookshelf. I don't have enough time. Scripture is too hard to understand. I just don't know where to begin. This free booklet explains why Bible study is so important and how to dig into the Scriptures in a way that will make them come alive. You can enjoy a lifetime of fruitful study and application of God's Word. Ask for your free copy of Why and How to Study the Bible when you call or write. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals exists to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades and even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible comes to you through the generous gifts of our listeners. If you have benefited from this broadcast and would like it to continue, please prayerfully consider a donation to help us keep this ministry on the air. For more information or to make a contribution to support or further our work, please contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103, or call us toll-free. 1-800-488-1888. Visit us online at alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free updated resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, daily devotionals, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians, including Donald Gray Barnhouse, James Montgomery Boyce, Michael Horton, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. Then join us again next time for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible.